turning to Revelation chapter 21, verses 5. Uh, we don't usually get into Revelation, but I think it's a good verse for us this morning. And so I would ask you to, to join me there this morning. It feels so good, just personally speaking, while you're turning there, it feels so good for me to be back. I, I've been on a honeymoon. I've had Christmas. I mean, I'm just ready to get back to some normalcy and some stability. And so I'm, I'm just so happy to see you guys. I'm glad to be here. And I do think that, as John said, I believe that God has a word for us this morning because we're opening up his word together as a church, as the family of God and faith, that he wants to move and he wants to do something in our midst this morning. So if you would read with me in Revelation chapter 21, verses, uh, verse 5, just one verse this morning, and if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. So let's read this together. It says, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Amen. Well, this morning, I am so glad that you are here. If you are new and visiting with us, I just want to welcome you here. As John said, my name is James Yandel. I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and I'm glad to see you. I'm excited to be here at the cusp of a new year. Like John said, we, we made it, right? We, we made it. Like tomorrow is going to be the year 2018. And none of us have ever been in 2018 before. That's why it's a new year. We, none of us have been there. We don't know what's going to happen. It's unpredictable. There's a lot of uncertainty, right? None of us has been there. None of us have been in 2018, so we can't go into the future. We can't come back and say, hey, this is all the things that are going to happen in the world in 2018. These are all the things that are going to happen in your life in 2018. We have no idea what's coming. The smartest person in this room has no idea what's coming, good or bad. We are on the cusp of a new year. No one knows what's coming. The new year brings uncertainty. And if you're like me, you don't like uncertainty, right? Like, I'm a very structured, ordered guy, right? I love routines. Does anyone love routines in here? Okay, we got a few people who are with me, my fellow brothers and sisters. I love routines. I love getting up at the same time every morning. I love having a morning routine. I love having the same place that I go for lunch, Chick-fil-A, every day. I love these routines. I don't really like spontaneity, and some of you do. But I think all of us would admit, in some level, we don't like uncertainty. Uncertainty is something that is outside of our control. And yet the new year brings that. But I also believe that the new year brings opportunity. There's, there's nothing different about December 31st versus January 1st, but to us, there, there is something different, right? We see it as an opportunity to change and an opportunity to grow. I believe that God uses the new year, this arbitrary separation between today and tomorrow as a way for us to change and to grow in our walk with the Lord and in our life in general. Benjamin Franklin, I found this pretty cool quote. He says, be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better man. I'm going to adapt that just a little bit. Yet each year finds you a better man or a better woman. Right, ladies? I'm going to include you in there, right? So a better man or a better woman. That's what the new year promises for us, an opportunity to grow and to change. Right? We, we don't know what's coming. Can you imagine us sitting back here? I don't even remember. I think I preached the sermon last year. Can you imagine us sitting December 31st, 2016, looking forward into 2017 and thinking about all the things that would happen? Hurricane Harvey. For some of us, it's been a difficult year because we've lost people that have been close to us. For some of us, there have been exciting times, like getting married. I didn't think I was going to get married in 2016 this year, right? It brought uncertainty. 
Some of it's been good, some of it's been bad, but each new year brings opportunity. Each new year brings an opportunity for us to grow and to become a better man or a better woman. It's in this context that I want to bring up our passage here this morning. And John wrote this passage, now not this John, right? Apostle John wrote this passage uh, in the year 90 AD. He was a follower of Jesus Christ and he wrote the book of Revelation in about the year 90 AD. So this is just to give you a little context. John was living in some very uncertain times. Right? He, he was living under Roman rule, this brutal regime. And the stories here, I mean, they were true. Rome was brutal to Christians. There was a, the systematic persecution of people who were different, who celebrated a different God than the Romans did. And John was living in this time period. John was living in exile, right, for being a follower of Jesus Christ. We know that he was on an island called Patmos, which was on the outer ring of the Roman Empire. And he was in exile for his faith. He was living in unpredictable and uncertain times, just like us. We don't control world events, and yet we turn on the news every single day, and we see things that are happening out in the world, and we can't control those things. We can't control what happens in North Korea. We can't control what happens in Washington, D.C. We have no control over these things. We live in unpredictable and uncertain times, just like the Apostle John. The Apostle John was also a part of a fledgling faith, a movement of God where its Savior came to the earth, died on the cross, rose from the grave, and this new fledgling movement began to form of the people of God and as followers of Christ. John was in this context, and in this context, this is what he says. Verse 20, or chapter 21, verse 5. It says, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So John was on this island, and he has a vision from the Lord. And I don't know about you, I don't get very many visions from the Lord. This is a very special way that, that God talked the Apostle John. He said, hey, you're living in very unpredictable, uncertain times. I want to show you a glimpse of what is to come to give you faith and to give you trust in your life. And in this context, John sees a vision of God on the throne. And that's where this verse comes from. So this morning, I have one verse for you, and I have three questions. I have one verse for you and three questions for your new year. As you think about goal setting and as you think about making resolutions, I'm not going to give you certain resolutions to make, but I want to give you an attitude in which to make them. I believe that if you answer these three questions correctly, that you can change and you can grow and you can fulfill the resolutions that you make in your life. And not only that, but you can make the right resolutions. I have three questions for you this morning, and I hope that you see them as challenges from your pastor. I've challenged myself with them, and I want to challenge you with them this morning as we stand at the cusp of a new year. And the first is this. Let's, let's look at the first part of the verse. It says, in he who sits on the throne said, let's stop right there. Question number one, do you act like God is seated on the throne? Do you act like God is seated on on the throne. And, and notice I used a very particular word there. I said act. I could have said believe. I, at first on my sermon slide, I said, do you believe that God is seated on the throne? And I think if I said, do you believe? I think all of us in here more or less would say, yeah, we believe that God is seated on the throne. And so I wanted to make a little bit more punchier, maybe a gut punch. I said, do you act like God is seated on the throne? As we stand at the cusp of a new year, do we believe it and do we act like it? We just celebrated the birth of the Prince of Peace. 
And for me, my question to you is, what's the point of following the Prince of Peace if we don't have peace in our own life? The Apostle John lived in uncertain times, and then he saw this vision of God sitting on the throne. So imagine you're John, and you're sitting on this island, and you have this vision, and you see God. I'm not even going to try to describe it. You can go to Revelation 20 and 21, and you can see how he describes it. But just imagine you're John, and you see God seated on his throne. Not like Jesus, your homeboy friend, but like God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, Yahweh, Jehovah, God on his throne. The one that everyone in this room claims to worship. He sees him there on the throne. An image of him, a visual of God. Imagine the impact that that would have had on his brain. Imagine, I would imagine that like as soon as he blinked, he would see it. Every time he closed his eyes, he would see the throne. He'd probably dream about it for the rest of his life. That would never leave his mind. Imagine if you and I adopted an image of God on the throne in our lives. What sort of impact would that have on the way that we viewed uncertainty and unpredictability in a new year? How would that change the way that we viewed the future? I have a few questions for you based on that. First, do you act like God is seated on the throne of this world? You know, I don't know about you, but every time I turn on the news, it says that, I mean, there's crazy stuff out there. Things are going on. A lot of things make me angry and irritable, right? A lot of things are not going in the way that I want them to go. And yet my question for you is, do you believe in the way that you share posts on social media, the way that you view news? Do you see God on the throne above it? A lot of people have their eyes fixed on the presidency or on the midterm elections or on different events going on in the world. And my question to you is, can you lift your eyes a little bit higher to the God who's on the throne over the world? We are followers of Jesus Christ and we believe that God is in control of events. We have to act like that. And that has to change the way that we approach the new year and the change that we, the way that we approach uncertainty and unpredictability. For some of us, it's easy to believe that. But how about this? Do you believe that God is seated on the throne of your life? And not just that, do you act like God is seated on the throne of your life? You know, when I look at Jesus, human, earthly Jesus, son of God, come to earth. When I see his life, I see two things about him. He was unhurried. And unworried. Say that with me. He was unhurried and unworried, right? I I love how that rhymes. He was unhurried and unworried. Everywhere he went, he was not in a rush. He feared nothing. He even told his disciples, Do not worry about your life. How could he have that constant vision, that constant peace in his life? I believe it's because he saw God seated on the throne over his life and over the world. How about this? Do you believe that God is seated on the throne of your spouse's life or of your children's lives? Sometimes it's easier for us to be like, man, I believe that God's on the throne of my life and I believe that he's taking care of me. All things work for the good of those who love him. But it's much harder for us to see God on the throne of our spouse's life or of our children's lives. Do you believe that he's working in their life for their good, directing them and guiding them, that he has their good in mind? Sometimes we take God's place in their life on the throne of their life. Can we trust that God is working through them and in them as well? 
How about this church? Do you believe that God is seated on the throne of this church? That Pastor John and I, we, we, we lead it in many different ways and we serve you in many different ways. But ultimately, God sits on the throne of this place. And he has his good in mind. He wants us to grow. He wants us to progress. That God is here enthroned over White Oak Baptist Church. God is here and he's powerful. The bottom line is this. God gives us freedom but never gives up control. God gives you the freedom to make decisions and to make plans and to make goals, but he never gives up control over this world and over your life. You know, James, uh, in the book of James, he says that, he says, don't boast about tomorrow, right? He says, people go about and say, they make plans. I'm going to do this next, ne- next year. I'm going to do this next year. I'm going to start this business next year. I'm going to do this. I've got all these goals. And he says, you should say, if the Lord wills, I will do this or that. James had a vision of God on the throne, the one who directs, the one who's judged, and the one who leads the world. Do you act like God is seated on the throne? Let's look at the next part of the verse. First part says, and he who sits on the throne said, and then the next part, there's one word. What does it say? Behold. Stop right there. Behold, question number two for you this morning is, are you paying attention to what God is doing right now? Behold. You know, if you use the King James Bible, which I'm sure none of us use the King James Version. Maybe, does anyone use King James Version in here? Oh, we got a few. All right, we got one. So maybe not use the King James Version. But if you look in that Bible, it uses the word behold over a thousand times. And in each of those times, or in most of those times, it's God saying, look, I'm doing something in your midst. Behold, something is happening among you. Maybe in your version it says look, or maybe it doesn't have that word altogether, but I like the word behold. It's a word of biblical proportions. I want us to use that a little bit more. I'm sorry, using that at home. Behold, Sarah, I'm done with my sermon, right? Behold, the Lord has come. It means to stop and to observe and to look. That's hard for us to do, right? I, I read this quote by a Christian blogger, and she said this. She said, in our multitasking fast-paced world, we are in the habit of looking everywhere at once. And that sort of like struck me to the core. We are in the habit of looking everywhere at once. And yet here in this verse, and what Paul, excuse me, what John saw was God on the throne, and God said, behold, look at what I'm doing. Forget whatever, everything else that's going on, what everyone else is doing, look at what I'm doing. So this morning, my encouragement to you is, behold, what is the Lord doing in your life right now? And in order to do that, if you want to stop listening to the other voices around there, you've got to focus on the Lord and Him alone. And that's hard for us to do, like I said. And I don't know what your voice in your life is. Maybe for you it's social media and you're looking at all the different things that are happening in everyone else's life on social media because we love to craft the perfect narrative on our phones, right? So we're seeing those things. We're like, man, God is doing so much in that person's life. Did you forget about me? If you want to behold the Lord and what he's doing in your life, you've got to stop that mindset. Stop looking at what he's doing in other people's life and start seeing what is he doing in my life right now. And secondly, I think probably the most, the loudest voice that many of us listen to, the biggest distraction when it comes to what God is doing in our life right now, is we're focused so much on the voice of our past. Amen? 
The voice of our past is powerful. The voice of our past has us sitting, thinking about our past year, thinking about all the things that have happened. And for some of us, maybe the challenge for you this morning is you need to leave some things behind in 2017. Maybe there are some things that you don't need to take with you into 2018, but you need to leave them behind. Let me give you a a quick example because I'm totally like this. I do this all the time, but I'll give you an example from school. So many of you know, I just finished seminary. My last semester was this past semester. I graduated, I think, on the uh, 15th or 14th, something like that. One day before I actually got married, I drove to Fort Worth and I drove back that same day, right? But I, I graduated. But for me, I don't know if you're like me, but I love grades. I love getting good grades. I've always been like that. I cried when I got a B the first time in my life. This is true. This was like in high school. Uh, but I cried when I got a B. I'm really all about getting good grades, right? So all through seminary, I was studying and I was getting good grades. And I was trying to do that. And I, I was worried about my last semester because I had three classes. Um, I had a lot going on, all this kind of stuff, the church, getting married, different things like that. And I was like, man, I still want to get A's, right? So they didn't put the final grades in before I actually walked. And so I I graduated, I walked, I got their certificate. You could go back in my office, you could see the certificate, I got it. Guess what I do about 10 times a day? I'm checking my grades. (laughs) And Sarah can attest to this. I'm getting on the site and I'm checking my grades. And I'm like, man, I'm like, refresh, refresh, refresh. I'm, I'm just hoping that they'll post them, right? And for some of you, you probably think I'm crazy for the people who are just like C, B students, you're right, just get through it. You probably think I'm crazy, but I mean, I'm like, I already have the certificate and I'm looking at my grades. No one in the world cares what I got except for me, right? But how often do we do that in our own life? We look at our past year or we look at things that have happened in the past and we keep rehashing conversations that we have. We keep rehashing things that we've done and we forget that Jesus has already given us a certificate. Amen. That in the gospel we're forgiven, we're free. We preach that every Sunday. The whole Bible is about the fact that God has separated our sins and our past from the east is from the west. And God says, forget your past and focus on the right now. God wants us to focus on the right now. He says, behold, look at the work that I'm doing in your life right now. I think we all fall into that. I think we all have a mindset sometimes of like, man, I've made so many mistakes that I don't think the Lord can use me right now. I don't think that he can use me for his kingdom. I don't think he can grow his kingdom through me because of things that I've done in the past. And yet here this morning, I want to say to you that you are clean, you are forgiven, you are redeemed in the gospel, and you are empowered to be the people of God, to serve him in this life, regardless of how messy or complicated or messed up your past is. This morning, God calls you to leave some things behind in 2017 and to focus on what he's doing right now. So how do you behold the Lord? First, you've got to stop listening to other voices. And secondly, you've got to get to know God's voice in your life. You've got to learn how to discern, how to hear the Lord. And we talk about these three things a lot. What are they? Bible, prayer, and Christian community. If you want to hear the Lord's voice in your life, you want to know what he's doing in your life, you've got to use the means by which he speaks. He doesn't usually speak through social media all the time. He speaks through his word. His promises are here. His promises for your life are here. 
He speaks through prayer and he speaks through the church and us gathered together. Sometimes the Christian life seems like a very complicated, messy process. And we don't know how to always put it together and make it work. And that's what the church is for. I wasn't going to mention this, but I'm just going to give them some praise. Uh, so Mike Winters and Ryan Horn, where are you guys at? Like, raise your hand. You guys are in there. One's in the back. All right. So I got a bike for Christmas, right? I'm just going to share this. I got a bike for Christmas. And it's a really nice bike. I got it from Sarah's parents. And it came to me in pieces, right? And uh, I'm not very good with my hands or with tools or anything like that. So I had my bike for the past week or so. And I've been trying to put it together. And I got a tool set, too, and I got, like, a wrench, you know, and stuff like that. I'm just trying to put it together, and I, I'm not getting any progress, right? I, I got the Phillips head screwdriver, and, and it's just not coming together. The wheel's over here. The pedals are over here. The handle's off of it. The seat's not on it, and I tried to put it on, and it wouldn't work. Sarah can attest to this. So we brought, our, we brought my bike this morning, and it had Mike Winters and Ryan Horn go and put the bike together for me. And the first thing that they did, which I didn't think to do, they took the bike and they flipped it upside down so that it sat on the seat, and it stayed right up. And I'm like, man, that, that's really smart. Like, I, I never thought to do that, right? I was, I was literally sitting on it trying to position the wheel and stuff like that. And the first thing they did was they turned it upside down. I'm like, man, that's, that's smart. You guys are like engineers or something like that, right? And so they put it together, and it took them about 30 minutes or so, and then I rode it around the north wing about 30 minutes ago, like a new kid on Christmas morning, right? It was so cool. But I bring that up because I feel like we need people in our life to show us the way. That there's something that seems so hard, so difficult for me to do, and it's like, man, it's just an impossible task. And yet when other people come around, they say, hey, why don't you just turn it upside down, right? It'll be a lot easier. In the same way, that's what the church is for. Sometimes we make goals and different things we want to do. We want to get smarter. We want to read through the Bible or we want to have more prayer time. And for us, it seems so confusing, like this bike that's all like split up into pieces. And someone can come along in your church, in your community group and say, hey, why don't you try it this way? It would be much easier for you. So if you want to hear the voice of the Lord this morning, if you want to hear what he wants for you in the new year, read your Bible, pray, and gather in Christian community. In the Bible, it talks about the promises of God. For many of us, we need to leave our past in the past, and we need to think about God's potential for our life. That's the bottom line. Choose God's potential over your past. Ask yourself, what is going on in your life right now. How does God want to shape you? How does he want to grow you? God doesn't want you to remain stagnant. He wants you to grow, right? He wants you to progress. How is he talking to you right now? Not how he's talking to you a year ago or five years ago when you were on a spiritual high, but what about right now? What is he saying to you? What are the areas of your life that God's allowing you to repeatedly fail, just waiting for you to trust in him again? Trust in the Lord. Behold and trust in the Lord. So look back at our verse. It says, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, and then let's read the last part of the verse together this morning. It says, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. My last question for you is this. Are you afraid of change? Are you afraid of change in your life? There are only two constants in the world, I think, God and change. 
It may be death and taxes, right? But for, for the purpose of the sermon, God and change. These are the two constants that are going to come in your life. And yet many of us, I believe, love the status quo. We love the status quo. We are at where we are at because we love being there. We love being there. We don't want to change. We love our sin and we love being where we're at because if we're where we're at means we don't have to change, right? And yet God wants us to change. As much as we say we want it, we're here because we want it to be here. And yet John saw a vision of a God who says, I hate the status quo. I'm bringing change. I want to bring change into your life. That's what God is saying. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. God is getting rid of the sin-ridden world and doing a new thing in our midst. God says, I am bringing change. And he's bringing change in the world, and that's what the gospel is about. The fact that God is changing not just us, but the world. But God is also bringing change into your life. All parts of your life. Even the parts of your life that you don't want him to change. He's going to change and bring renewal. And he's going to touch those things and grow you in trust and faith and in compassion and in humility. So my challenge for you is let us not grow content with ourselves. Embrace a mindset of holy discontent. To not just accept where you're at and just be like, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner, emphasis on sinner, saved by grace. What if we put the emphasis on saved by grace and changed by grace, renewed by grace? God wants to bring change into our lives. Let us not grow content about where we're at. You know, I believe it's often the parts of your life that you want to change the least that God wants to change the most. 2018 is a year of change, I believe. I believe that he wants to take our old sinful patterns and he wants to change and renew those for him. I believe that God wants to take our faith, our faithlessness, and turn it into faith, right? He wants to separate our sins as far as the east is from the west. God wants to do these things for us. So my encouragement to you is to be discontent, to hunger, to thirst for growth, to seek change, to improve, to want to improve your life in the gospel. God says, I'm not just here to just save you and leave you in your sin. I'm here to renew you, to change you, to make you better, a better man, as Benjamin Franklin said, or a better woman. I'm here to change you in the face of the gospel and make you more like myself. Let us not grow content as people and as followers of Christ. Let's embrace change. And lastly, let's not grow content as a church. Let's not grow content as a church. Let's not do the same things the same way just because that's the way we've always done them. You know, uh, Pastor John and I, when we think about things that we're doing, we have the same. We say, there ain't nothing gospel but the gospel, Right? There ain't nothing gospel with the gospel. And what we mean by that is that we always keep our principles, but we're always evaluating our methods. I hope you will join us in wanting to grow and progress and change as a church. We exist for the people who are not here yet. And sometimes it's hard to adopt that mindset, and I'll be the first to say that I'm there oftentimes, that oftentimes I think the church is here for me. 
And yet we, the gospel exists for the person who's not here yet. The person whose life is going to be radically changed by the gospel. We exist for your next door neighbor. We exist for your parents. We exist for your family. We exist for your friends. We exist for your coworkers. We exist for those people. That the light of the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ would not just be kept among us, but would grow and expand to the world. God says, I'm doing something new in the world. And he invites us to be a part of it. How, what's it going to take for us to get there? Change and growth. Letting our preferences die for the sake of the mission. I hope you will join me in making 2018 a year of growth and of change, and of progress in the gospel. As we draw to a close this morning, I want to make a testament to you that God can do a lot in a year. God can do it a lot in a year. In December, well, I'll say maybe November, November of 2016, I was working for a place called Baylor College of Medicine, um, I was kind of helping out at the church here, but not too much, just a little bit. I was working at a job. I was single, right? <laughs> Bachelor pad, right? Just working, doing my thing. And here this morning, I stand before you, a pastor, a married man, at a church that I love. God has done a lot in my year. And this has happened to be a year where a lot of good things have happened for me. And there have been years where a lot of bad things have happened before. But God can do it a lot in a year. For some of you, you weren't even a part of our church last year. How far has God taken us in a year? My encouragement to you as one of your pastors is not be jaded or cynical about what God can do in a year. But instead to see it as an opportunity to, to grow to change. It's good to reflect on 2017. It's good to reflect on the things that have happened and look for ways to improve. The Lord calls us to look at the present and into the future. He says, I am doing a good work in your midst. I hope that you would trust them in that. I hope that you would trust him and have faith that he's doing something and that he wants us to join us. Join him in it. So if you would bow your heads with me, I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you as one of your pastors. As you think about what is to come, I pray that you would see God enthroned over it. Let's pray together to the Lord of the earth. Dear Heavenly Father, come before you this morning as your children. Come to you this morning as followers of you. It's been a crazy year. Hurricane Harvey hit. People got married. We lost people that are close to us, Lord. How can we ever face the future without you? I pray for 2018, Lord, 
I pray for the lives of the people in this room as they step into a new year, Lord. And regardless of what comes, I pray that we might have a resilient faith. A faith that says, come what may, I trust the Lord. A faith that says, come what may, I will follow him even to the darkest dark or into the brightest light. I pray that as we make plans, Lord, we would seek to change and to grow. That we wouldn't just be stuck year after year, but that we would take the necessary steps to grow in our life. To get rid of sin in our life to read your word in our life, to pray in our life, to gather with the church in our life, Lord. I pray that you would help us to do these things. I pray a blessing over these people as as one of their pastors, Lord. May they be blessed. May they be blessed, Lord, abundantly in the gospel. I love them, and I know that you love them more. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen.